0: This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, March 15th, 2023, on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. I'm Kyle Kellums.
1: I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead this hour, lung cancer is the most common fatal cancer in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth recently talked with a researcher at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences about a study that may lead to more success in treating early-stage lung cancer.
0: First, Scout Clean Energy a privately held company headquartered in Boulder, Colorado, plans to build an industrial wind energy facility called the Nimbus Project on a mountain ridge located in eastern Carroll County. Scout Clean Energy has been actively developing the project since 2016 and recently acquired a sufficient number of private property leases to erect over 40 wind turbines as well as transmission facilities. Ozarks at Larges' Jacqueline Froelich reports a growing number of eastern Carroll County residents are opposed to the Nimbus Project.
2: According to U.S. energy data, industrial wind power facilities are concentrated in wind-rich places like the Oklahoma Panhandle, the high rolling hills of Bakersfield, California, and on vast prairies in Texas, Kansas, Iowa, and Illinois, but none have ever been built on the Ozarks Plateau.
3: So I would have towers to the right, left, and in front of me.
2: C.J. Martin lives in the shadow of a proposed industrial wind-generating facility in eastern Carroll County on Bradshaw Mountain.
3: We moved to the mountain in about uh, 2012, and we just heard from the neighbors that it was talk of uh, the wind turbines coming.
2: She wasn't concerned, she says, until early this year.
3: Just recently, I mean, within the last two weeks, I started seeing different company trucks on the road that I didn't recognize.
2: She stopped a driver of one of the trucks to ask what was going on.
3: So he was trying to tell me, we're going to give you a brand new road, this and that. And I'm like, wait a minute, the county doesn't do that. And then he finally told me that it was for the wind turbines. And when I asked him what company did he work for, he would not tell me.
2: Land agents working for Scout Clean Energy, a Colorado-based renewable energy developer headquartered in Boulder with no public notice, have been scoping eastern Carroll County for years to acquire property easement agreements with willing ridgetop owners to construct a 9,000-acre industrial wind energy facility called the Nimbus Project, the first like it in Arkansas. Mark Wingersky, vice president of development for Scout Clean Energy's eastern region, says a sufficient number of easements have been acquired.
4: And we've signed voluntary agreements with a little more than 50 landowners up there.
2: Up there refers to a range of high mountain ridges on which Scout Clean Energy plans to install 43 wind turbines just south of Green Forest east of Highway 103 along County Road 905. These wind turbines will be 500 feet tall, Wingerski says. He declined providing the make and specs of the three-blade rotors. But according to U.S. Department of Energy data, the diameter of the blades could span several hundred feet or more. County dirt roads will have to be improved to accommodate large tractor trailers hauling giant wind power components from across the country.
4: So what we've already done as a project is we've been visiting with Carroll County on negotiating a road use agreement. So what the road use agreement says is, you know, any roads that we're going to utilize, we might have to improve them. So we're going to improve those roads at the project's cost. So the county will not pay any money in order to have these roads improved for us to ultimately get these wind turbines up to the top of the ridge. Um, there are instances where we might have to improve turning radius, you know, these are long loads, you know, they're, they're really, you know, um, challenging at times to get to your project site, depending on the width of existing roads. So there's certain roads that might need to get widened, there might be, you know, some turning radii that ultimately needs to get improved, we're going to pay for all of that ourselves as well, the project will so the county will not pay for any road improvements necessary to build this project.
2: The $300 million Nimbus Wind Project is expected to generate 180 megawatts of electricity annually, enough to power as many as 30,000 homes.
4: So what we've done is we've bought some uh, transmission right away. It's really short. It's less than four miles to reach Arkansas Electric Co-ops, their existing um, Dry Creek substation. So the substation is already there. Um, The infrastructure, when you look at ACC, their um, transmission infrastructure is already there. So we're ultimately taking the power from the 43 wind turbines, and we're going to deliver it to ACC's Dry Creek substation. And then it will go on ACC's transmission infrastructure. And from there, it's going to ultimately flow into MISO. And MISO is the regional transmission um, authority.
2: M-I-S-O, an acronym for Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, headquartered in Indiana. Carroll County has no comprehensive land use planning. The conservative-majority county quorum court historically is against such regulatory control, but if the wind facility is built and regional transmission interconnection agreements are obtained, permits will be required from the Arkansas Public Service Commission Division of Environmental Quality will convey stormwater permits if required. The topography on which Scout plans to build, however, is fractured limestone karst filled with caves, sinkholes, perched water tables, and cold water springs. CJ Martin says her spring fed drinking water supply will be disturbed by heavy truck traffic construction and wind turbine vibrations.
3: This scarce terrain, who knows? That's the whole thing, is who knows if the weight of these turbines is going to cause problems. Who knows if, there, if it's going to be a sinkhole?
2: Wengurski says Scout Clean Energy geologists are working closely with land leaseholders to conduct field surveys on locations where wind terminals will be installed.
4: We take what are called geotechnical samples, So what that is, is that is ultimately a core boring. So we take a rig out and we drill a core and we pull a core sample, which could be, you know, 20 to 60 feet down. And ultimately what we do is then the geologists and the engineers look at that core sample to see, are there any voids? So are there any voids? Are there soil conditions that are not suitable for wind turbine? And so we actually go and we take those core samples in each one of these turbine locations to ensure that the underlying geology can actually support one of these machines.
2: Wind turbines, depending on the size, requires around 80 gallons of lubricant sealed in nacelle gearboxes, changed every five years, Wengerski says. The oil recycled Voluntary lease agreements also include a reclamation and removal bond for spent Nimbus project components. C.J. Martin is also concerned about eagles colliding with the spinning turbine blades, flocks attracted to the region by poultry farming.
3: So the eagles capture a certain type of draft, and it's the exact same that's needed for the wind turbines.
2: According to Stanford University Institute for the Environment, wind turbines located in wind corridors used by certain birds can threaten avian populations. Arkansas's largest hibernating colony of endangered Indiana bats have been documented in the region, as well as endangered Ozark big bats that inhabit karst caves just south in Newton County. Gersky says Scout plans to submit wildlife surveys to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for review, as well as Arkansas Game and Fish Commission.
4: So in order to build a responsible project, you do avian surveys, you do bat surveys. I mean, these are folks that are out there counting raptor nests. These are surveys that are acoustic to determine bat species types. So what you're able to do is if you know you have an abundance of a certain species, at a certain time, you can actually operate your wind turbines in order to minimize uh, impacts to those species.
2: Wingurski says Scout Energy is talking to news media for the first time about the Nimbus Wind Project to countervail rumors circulating on Carroll County socials. But what he didn't say is that in late December, Scout Clean Energy was purchased by Brookfield Renewable, one of the world's largest publicly traded renewable power platforms. Brookfield assumed full control of Scout and all its assets for $1 billion with potential to invest in the near term an additional $350 million, reportedly, to support business development, including projects like Nimbus. Former Carroll County Judge Richard Williams says he was approached by wind power officials as far back as 2008 when he held office, but nothing came of that, he says. He's alarmed to learn the project is now moving forward without any public disclosure. He owns land near the proposed facility and lives on a county dirt road that will be a major supply route to the site.
5: It's been a whole bunch of secrecy. We want transparency, people want transparency. Something's not right.
2: Williams says he's for clean energy, but Eastern Carroll County, a remote historic farming region, is the wrong place for an industrial wind farm, he says.
5: In my road here, we have trouble when somebody comes by. You've got somebody got to pull over. We have actually had inc- incidences. Where somebody had to back up, our road is narrow. Which we like it. We bought the place, place. This is what our farm, our road was like to start with. I like to keep it that way. My southwest corner, it's a 90 degree turn, and they're going to put a hundred foot blade around that corner. I don't see it. And this, this is not. This is only one of many on this road.
2: Williams is also concerned about the possible take of private land eminent domain declarations to expand his and other dirt roads for the Nimbus project. But with demand by U.S. utilities for clean power rising, companies like Scout Clean Energy are searching unconventional terrain to build out new wind energy projects. The company also scouted Boone County, Missouri, where William says the project was rejected, as well as Baxter and Marion counties. But Scout claims Carroll County has always been a first choice. Wengorski says the Nimbus project will employ 200 company workers with some local hires, yield $14 million to land leaseholders for the 30-year life of the project, and county tax revenue valued at $25 million. The project could also qualify for federal tax credits if built within a certain time frame. Former Green Forest Mayor Charles Reese says, if built, the Nimbus wind turbines and towers will be visible from the town square. He also thinks it's a bad idea.
6: You know, wind is intermittent here. So, you know, in the summertime, it'll it'll be deathly still.
2: Scout clean energy officials are meeting privately this week with several Carroll County officials to discuss county road construction improvements to access the Nimbus project site. The second such meeting to occur, the public and press are barred from attending. The matter will come before Carroll County Quorum Court for the first time on March 21st, but public participation, officials say, will be strictly limited. Scout has confirmed that open house public information sessions will take place at various locations in Carroll County next month. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: Okay, it is Wednesday. It sure is. Which means it's almost Thursday, Mm -hmm. which means it's also almost the weekend. Yes.
1: That math makes sense. Okay, thank you.
0: Uh, Plenty to do in the next 24 hours. Uh I don't have a complete list, but here are just some highlights. Great. Uh, Tomorrow at the Medium in Springdale The Fear of the Fearless exhibition will close The closing reception tomorrow evening 5 to 8 The works examine why marginalized and displaced communities are often considered a threat Ceramic works, paintings, sculptures included Sounds awesome It does Also tomorrow night, the Tipsy Tour at 21C Mm -hmm. Chance to learn more about the art and artists included in their latest exhibition Still Life Morning Meeting Mending You'll get two cocktails as well creating the hive, including this one, the garden. You're a cocktail guy, right? I love
1: cocktails. All right.
0: Tell me if this sounds good to you. Okay. Uh, The garden is described as a crisp and refreshing cocktail made with vodka, sherry, maraschino liqueur, and topped with blackberry, raspberry, and citrus.
1: Citrus is is a surefire way to get me to drink it.
0: Well, the Tipsy Tour 21C, you'll also learn about the art. Remember, that starts at 7 tomorrow in Bentonville. The Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas screened the documentary, Uh, at Crystal Bridges that kind of tells the story of their organization. Mm -hmm. There will be a discussion following featuring um, people involved with the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas, including the founder and director, Margarita Solzano. Walnut Center has Stardust tomorrow night. Talk to Bowie Ballet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a combination of uh, David Bowie's music and Johann
0: Sebastian Bach's music. That's right. I looked this morning, not many main floor tickets left. Mm -hmm. Still some in the balcony, so if you're thinking about it, jump off the fence. Yes. And also tomorrow, both Arkansas basketball teams open their tournament play.
7: Support for KUAF comes from Little Wing Productions, welcoming singer Melissa Etheridge to the auditorium in Eureka Springs Friday, May 5th at 7.30 p.m. Reserve seats go on sale this Friday at tickets.thundertix.com. Support for KUAF comes from Little Wing Productions, welcoming singer Melissa Etheridge to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Friday, May 5th at 7.30 p.m. Reserve seats go on sale this Friday at tickets.thundertix.com.
0: Ahead on our show, Rice. A recent live episode of our podcast, Undisciplined, explored the food, from a global perspective.
8: It's like how I hear, like when I moved to the Midwest, like I hear people always talk about being like meat and potato type of people. Mm-hmm. Like I think the potato is our equivalent to the rice. You okay. know what I mean? It's like the substance of it, oh. you know? So it's like things, You the rice is the is one of the mains and you, depending on which rice, you can decide what sides you have. So like if it's white rice, you're likely to probably do coleslaw with it. If it's corn and rice or peas and rice or maybe bean and rice, you probably can do some potato salad or you might do crab salad or you you just you can jazz it up depending on which rice
4: it is.
0: Rice later this hour on Ozarks at Large.
4: This is KUAF. All throughout the month of March, the community spotlight will have a specific focus donations and local support for the Elizabeth Richardson Center. March is Intellectual Disabilities Awareness Month, and for 60 years the ERC has been working to enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities in our community. Inflation and just everything, those costs are also passed on to nonprofits, and we we just really need some extra help. This nonprofit offers both children and adult services, life skills, employment services, and even residential options for certain individuals. They're looking to bust the box with a donation drive all this month. Through March 11th, they're specifically looking for cloth items such as socks, towels, washcloths, underwear, sports bras, full or queen bedding, and curtains. For the full list of needed items or for more information, visit ercinc.org.
0: This is Ozarks at Large.
1: I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Synthetic marijuana is the latest topic to face lively debate at the Arkansas State Capitol. Lawmakers on the Senate Agriculture Committee yesterday voted to advance Senate Bill 358 which would ban certain products derived from hemp that mirror the psychoactive effects of marijuana. The bill's sponsor, Republican Senator Tyler Dees of Siloam Springs, says the bill would only seek to ban specific, poorly regulated products, the most prevalent of which is commonly known as Delta-8. It only exempts the things that exceed the the levels uh, that's outlined
9: here, the the 0.3% of THC. So, any other products that uh, are CBD-related, this is—that's not in the scope of of this bill, um, and and medical marijuana, that is separately regulated, separately um, contained, and we have pro- procedures in place there.
0: Dee's and others said products containing Delta-8 are available for purchase in stores by anyone regardless of age, resulting in numerous overdose complaints to poison control centers. Don Harple, who owns a CBD store in northwest Arkansas, says the legislation would put her out of business. She said the state should seek to regulate synthetic marijuana products like Delta-8 before banning it outright. These people,
10: if you take this away, are not going to go to the medical program. Many of them are concerned about losing their gun rights. They're concerned about the strength of cannabis and the fact that they like to go to CBD stores because we actually educate them on how to take it.
1: Others argued the bill would still allow for Arkansans to purchase hemp-derived synthetic marijuana products legally from other states and have it shipped to Arkansas. So far, 14 states have banned Delta-8 and similar products. The bill heads now to the full Senate for a vote. We'll have more about this topic on a future edition of Ozarks at Large.
0: A bill to require Arkansans to show identification before viewing online pornography passed the Arkansas House of Representatives. Republican Representative Mindy McClendon said the bill will prevent minors from watching pornography, which she said can have negative effects on children and be addictive. Currently, it is easier for children to log on to a pornography website than it is to log on to Budweiser.com, where all they can see there are beer bottles. This bill puts just a little bit of a gateway between our children and adult entertainment.
1: Republican Representative Stephen Meeks worried the bill was unenforceable since most porn companies are not based in Arkansas. He worried that requiring people to show legal identification on an untrustworthy website could violate people's privacy.
5: By putting this law in place, are we creating an excuse for
6: these websites that may and many times are not even located in our country
5: to put up a portal requiring an Arkansas citizen to give their personally identifiable data.
1: Representative McClendon said anytime you log onto the internet, your behavior will be the subject to identity theft. She said people should be aware of what websites they go to. The bill will return to the Senate before being signed into law by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders.
0: A new report indicates the need in Arkansas for caregivers to help people with dementia is growing. The Alzheimer's Association released its 2023 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures report yesterday. The findings include significant shortages in the dementia care workforce in Arkansas and across the country are compromising care for people with dementia. Nationally, an estimated 1.2 million additional direct care workers will be needed by 2030. That's more new workers than in any other single occupation in the United States.
1: Talk Business and Politics reports the closure of a Tyson food processing facility in Van Buren this spring will mean the end of 969 jobs. The same report indicates growers will not be affected with bird production shifting to plants in Springdale, Huntsville, and Clarksville. The plant in Van Buren has operated since 1975.
0: A film screening tonight in Fayetteville places a spotlight on a growing Arkansas industry, movie making. House of Darkness, written and directed by Neil Abute, is showing tonight at the Malco in Fayetteville. The film was shot in Fayetteville with Blake and Carrie Elder of locally based Rock Hill Studios serving as executive producers. Blake Elder says more filmmakers of all kinds are increasingly looking to the region.
4: For us, it's it's usually just
1: connections of people we have worked with in the past, or have just mutual relationships with other people, and just get connected, and then it just kind of becomes a hey, we have this project, what do you think? And and or we you know or we give them a project, and we just kind of figure out how what could be a good fit, you know, and and then kind of go from there. Really, it took us a long time to. Get some of the connections we had. Now, um, I mean that, and that has been huge and very important for us moving forward.
0: Really, the House of Darkness screening is presented by the Arkansas Cinema Society.
1: A locally produced documentary about tenants' rights in Arkansas will be shown Monday night in Fayetteville. A Safe Place to Sleep illustrates how certain low-income and impoverished Arkansas tenants lack legal housing protections. A North Little Rock mom, identified in the film as Daphne, describes her family's struggle with raw sewage and toxic mold in their rented apartment. The
11: apartment that I'm in now was vacant. It was vacant because the repairs hadn't been done. They didn't go and check and see what was wrong with this apartment. The plumbing would not drain at all. The water was coming from under my stove. I'm sweeping water out the back door. I started reporting this issue two years ago. I have three children that have asthma. They back and forth in the hospital.
0: Documentary producer and human rights attorney Stephen Coger says Arkansas is the only state without tenant protection laws, including where tenants can be jailed for failing to pay rent on time. I see as the
6: groundwork for meaningful change listening to these tenants that have given their, their thoughts about how terrible it's been for them to, to be living with black mold or uh, or there's an eight-year-old in the documentary who had poop coming through his walls and got all his clothes dirty. And, you know, Arkansas is the only state where that could happen, where the tenant doesn't have any recourse. The landlord doesn't have to do anything. The tenant still has to pay rent. I mean, it's uh, it's time for a change, and I hope that people see this and, and contact their legislators and, and get involved in pushing for it so we can love our neighbor better.
1: A Safe Place to Sleep, hosted by community activist Monique Jones and Democrat State Senator Greg Letting, will be screened Monday, March 20th at 7 p.m. in the Squire-Jahagan Outreach Center at 115 South Willow Street in Fayetteville. Admission is free.
0: Willie Nelson is returning to the Walmart Amp this year. One of the 16 stops of the Venerable Musicians Outlaw Music Festival Tour will be in Rogers June 29th. He'll share the bill with his family, Margot Price, Flatland Cavalry, and Particle Kit. Tickets go on sale Friday. The largest diamond discovered at the crater of Diamond State Park in Murfreesboro in a year and a half was unearthed earlier this month. A statement from the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage and Tourism places the size of the brown diamond at 3.29 carats, about the size of an English pea. Dave Anderson of Murfreesboro discovered the diamond and thus is honored with naming it. He chose BUD for Big, ugly, dumb.
1: <laughs> Seven University of Arkansas swimmers are participating at the NCAA Swimming and Diving Championship in Knoxville beginning today. Last year, Arkansas finished 28th in the country, the fourth consecutive top 30 finish for the program. The NCAA's run through Saturday.
0: Seventh-ranked Razorback baseball team attempting to move into SEC play with a 10-game winning streak. Arkansas picked up a ninth consecutive win last night over UNLV 13-7. The second game of the series is today. Arkansas's first conference series begins Friday night at home against Auburn.
1: The twelfth-ranked Arkansas softball team is experiencing something rare—a three-game losing streak. The Razorbacks lost at Wichita State last night, ten to two. Up next is a three-game series at number thirteen Alabama, beginning Saturday afternoon. In the final installment of Undisciplined Live, Dr. Cree Banton brought her utensils and plate to Art Ventures for a conversation about rice. In this excerpt, we'll hear from three students at the University of Arkansas Khadija is from the Bahamas, Sharita is from Little Rock, Arkansas, and Alfred is from Ghana. They take their three different experiences with rice and share their stories. We hear first from Khadija.
8: So, rice is um in my culture i would say it's like one of the main dishes on on like on any meal pretty much like but especially sunday sunday dinners right like you got to have rice and several different meats
10: what what happens if you don't have rice
8: then it's like you you don't have like you missing something you know what i mean it's like you missing the it's like how I hear, like when I moved to the Midwest, like I hear people always talk about being like meat and potato type of people. Mm-hmm. Like I think the potato is our equivalent to the rice. You know okay. what I mean? It's like the substance of it. Uh. You know, so it's like things you the rice is the is one of the mains and you depending on which rice you can decide what sides you have. So like if it's white rice, you likely to probably do coleslaw with it. If it's corn and rice, or peas and rice, or maybe bean and rice, you probably can do some potato salad, or you might do crab salad, or you, you just, it, you can jazz it up depending on which rice it is. And probably what type of meat you cook too.
10: So as a fellow Caribbean person, I can agree with that too. Like on Sundays, it definitely, rice and something. But if you didn't have rice, it meant that you were poor. Like, if you were to eat ground provision, right? And ground provision in the Caribbean mean yams and African-Americans. I'm not talking about sweet potatoes. <laughs> I'm talking about African yam, right? Yellow yam or, or another kind of yam. But if you were to have ground provision or dumplings, not chicken and dumplings also, <laughs> uh, dumplings made with flour dough, uh, or, you know, something else other than rice and peas and chicken, which was one of the dishes we're having today, then it meant that you had slipped to a station in life that probably, you know, was not... In, you know, we're, Jamaica is a British classist society and food is one of the ways in which class is expressed. So if you didn't have rice, something was happening to you
8: on a sunday yeah yes. no i i agree and i think too like you were talking about the types of rice like um it really gets you 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 could go to war with some family members if you cook parboil rice in your family in a parboil family so you really <laughs> gotta know your gotta know your
10: audience <laughs> wonderful sure you know what about you your experience screwed up with rice
11: Um, Well, I think it's the same for me for Sundays. It was always a rice day, but it would start in the morning for us We would have um, sweet rice and I tried to explain this to Terrius and he was like, I've never heard of this before This isn't a southern thing. Yes. Yes, it is So it's just rice Mm -hmm. with a little bit of butter and then a whole lot of sugar At least for kids you put a lot of sugar Um, And it was just like, you know not as sweet, I guess, as, as grits or something like that, but it was more, um, I, don't, I don't know, like
10: no,
11: easier what, for, for kids to, to play in, I guess. I, I,
10: I understand mean. what you mean, because we have like a rice porridge. We have a rice porridge in the Caribbean, and I think the Indians also have a rice dessert. If you ever go to an uh, Indian restaurant and you get the rice desserts with the Sticky little rice and raisins and, and the little um, nuts in it, oh fire fire but they put um condensed milk in it yeah and so i think that's probably similar to what you're talking about so we would have that rice porridge that is boiled in maybe coconut milk or um, another form of milk with nutmeg and cinnamon and all of those spices and then sweetened vanilla and sweetened and perhaps that's the African American version of that in the morning. So in the evening, what's the rice like? Oh, geez. Okay, so um, rice really is
11: like the the side item. Um, I know my mom will say, you know, if there's no bread in the meal, then she didn't really eat. But also, if there's no bread, then if you, there's no rice, you know, sometimes they'll double it up. You have to have you have to have some rice or like a potato or or a piece of bread to really tie the meal together because it kind of stops up all of the other flavors and so it's like you it's the best way to help you finish your entire plate.
10: Okay. What about you Alfred?
12: In Ghana it's a little bit different. It's more a staple for the middle class and up because most people outside our crowd say they are more into the local foods which is soup, the soup and the fufu and stuff but the working class, should. most of the Ghanaian meals, it takes a lot of time to cook so if you are part of the working class you have to go back to rice because if you have a rice cooker or a pot you just put it in and do something else but if you want to cook fufu which is from cassava, it will take you like four hours. But and, all right, <laughs> yes. and all that
10: pounding and all that. So
12: so someone like my mom someone like my mom she, she's, the, she's a rice lover because it's convenient for her so she doesn't have four hours to wait every day, so sometimes she's, she's maybe when she's doing something for you, she puts the rice in the rice cooker. That's it. Comes back and gets it. But talking someone outside a car, like if your grandma is outside a car and she comes to visit you, and you give her rice. And someone else comes, she can tell the person that since she came home, you've not fed her, <laughs> 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 because, because like outside a outside the big cities, rice is not their go-to meal. Like it's maybe for lunch, but for supper and breakfast. But for us, like when you have to go to school early, yes, like rice porridge, we make rice porridge, we make rice and stew for lunch and jollof and. So we have a lot of sauces you can eat with rice. So it can be just plain rice, but you have like soup sauces. Like that's the diversity. So you can eat rice like 14 times in a week. <laughs> but <laughs> but you are not eating the same rice because it can be rice with oil, rice with shito, um, jo- rice with... And the shito, it can... Rice with me rice with soup, right and the soup it can Watch be paranoid. It. Oh, yeah, so mm-hmm. you can that you can eat rice three times a day, but it's totally three different dishes, and that makes it like special. That makes it diverse enough for you to eat. Yeah.
10: Okay, so I'll start over here now. Did you grow up learning to cook rice?
12: Definitely. Try, uh, my it's not
10: a gendered. It's not a gendered activity.
12: So, so back to my mom. My mom. <laughs> My mom, is she was a busy woman, so she, when she gets home, she grabs the one she sees first to help in the kitchen. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's no female, there's no male. The person she sees is the person helping her. And <laughs> she she doesn't discriminate. You used uh, to try to hide, huh? <laughs> yeah, but. You get tired of hiding and <laughs> <laughs> so you get used to it. Yeah. So, like for Fufu, mostly it's men who pound it, and, like in Ghana. And one time, someone visited, and my mom was doing it. And the person was complaining that why am I not pounding it? She was like, I'm doing my part because I'm helping with the soup or something. So, like, she wasn't so you definitely, and she's the one that. By the time you were eight or seven, when she goes out and comes, she's not the type who is coming to cook. She expects to come and meet food in the house. So like, we see people who will be sitting down waiting for their moms to come to cook. But my mom comes and if she sees that you've not cooked, that means you are not hungry, so she'll cook something small. And, yeah. <laughs>
10: yeah. What about you, Sherita? When did you start cooking rice? What when did rice enter your maturation, pro, you know, process of uh, maturity? I don't know. Um,
11: well, I've always known how to cook rice. Um, I don't have a rice cooker. Um, I oh, probably should invest in my one. My diver over here, and I really should <laughs> invest because. Different rices, you cook them different ways. And so, like, if you cook it wrong, thinking that it's a different type of rice, you you know, you're...
10: So in Jamaica, uh, and sorry, that's where I'm from, so I'll have to keep referencing that. But men will say, you're not fit to be a wife unless you can cook rice and cook rice well, right? And so cooking rice well, I know that means different things in different cultures. In Jamaica, we don't cook rice soft. So if it looks like a rice porridge, you're going back home to your parents. <laughs> 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 but if you can cook rice, and you can put your, uh, um, your aluminum foil on top, and then watch it swell, and then we have this something in our culture that says, does your hand swell rice? Meaning if you wash the rice, and the rice swells up and you can get a lot more rice than what was put in the pot, then you're a good rice cooker. But if if your hand's not a good rice well please don't come near near to the pot. So those are the standards and that figures into, you know, the consciousness of of of, of Jamaicans where rice is concerned. What about you, Khadisha? What about the Bahamians?
8: Well, I think the Bahamians are very similar to the Jamaicans in that sense. (laughs) Oh, dear. Like you and and, yeah, like you have to at least know how to cook white rice, right? (laughs) Like you have to. That's the basics. That's the basics. But I don't know. I think probably I don't know when I I don't know when I officially learned to cook rice. I know I was always in the kitchen watching my own meat, so I could like up on things because i always loved the way she cooked her corn and rice and so i always knew that i wanted to be able to cook that one day and that's probably like the best rice that i can cook is corn and rice um because because i don't i I moved away from home when i was 20 it's been like eight years now and i think it's just one of those things that just kind of keeps me tethered to some aspect of my culture that just feels like home you
1: know that was khadijah Sharita, and Alfred, three students at the University of Arkansas from three different countries sharing their shared stories of rice. You can hear the full conversation with Dr. Cree Benton in the podcast feed for Undisciplined today. Listening Forest by artist Rafael Lozano
7: Hemmer returns to Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art this spring. On view now through May 28th, this outdoor nighttime interactive experience includes eight immersive installations activated by visitor participation. Listening Forest is free for ages 18 and under. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. Support for KUAF comes from Little Wing Productions, welcoming singer Melissa Etheridge to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Friday, May 5th at 7.30 p.m. Reserve seats go on sale this Friday at
0: tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Lung cancer is the number one cause of cancer deaths for Arkansans, with more than 75 new cases per 100,000 people detected a year. A new study from the New England Journal of Medicine shows a less invasive surgery is able to more effectively treat early lung cancer patients. The decade-long study used research from hospitals in the United States and Canada, including the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth recently spoke with Matthew Stelga, Chief of Thoracic Surgery at UAMS, about the study.
9: So can you just kind of walk me through, you know, this recent, trial, the study that was just released, and, and sort of UAMS's uh, role in that.
6: Years ago, when I was uh, starting here at UAMS, we opened it. We were one of the sites that opened it uh, uh, for a trial that was looking at people who had lung cancer, and early stage lung cancer. And we wanted to know if the standard of care of taking out the whole lobe of the lung was equivalent to taking out maybe less than the whole lobe. Um, and so we participated in this trial. There's 83 centers, U.S., Canada, Australia, and uh, th- that, that's kind of how we got involved in it. But it takes years to gather all that data, and it was just coming out now and just published in the New England Journal last week.
9: And so can you kind of walk me through this um, the, the sub-low bar um, resection and sort of what that is and why um, it's a breakthrough or why it's important? And to
6: back up a little bit, lung cancer is cancer in the lung, but it is cancer that has started in the lung. It's not, oh, I had a tumor in my colon and it spread to my lung or a tumor in my liver and then it spread to my lung. Early stage lung cancer is typically in the past treated with a lobectomy. Lobectomy is removal of the whole lobe of the lung. There's three on one side on the right and two on the left side. And we would take out the whole lobe so we could get out the lymph nodes and kind of the roots of that part of the lung and make sure we got all the cancer. Now, for some patients with really small tumors, less than two centimeters, not even three-fourths of an inch in size, little bitty tumors, would it be necessary to sacrifice a whole lobe? Or is that too much? We participated in this trial in many places all over the world, gathered data. And patients were randomized to get either the whole lobe out or less than the lobe, meaning a little wedge of the lung with clean edges and good margins, or a segment, meaning the blood vessels and windpipes going to just that portion in the lobe. Now, patients could really only qualify for that sub-lobar or that smaller resection if In the surgery, we checked all the lymph nodes around the base, and those were all confirmed to be cancer-free. And could we do a less aggressive surgery? And the New England Journal of Medicine uh, did release the the study on this, and it has been talked about quite a bit at some of our recent meetings. But in that very select group with early-stage patients, they could go on to receive a sub low bar resection with, with good cancer outcomes. And that, that's encouraging because it allows us as surgeons to really fine-tune the best treatment option for each patient.
9: And I'm wondering kind of, you know, what does this mean for, for patients here in, in Arkansas? You know, are you guys equipped to to perform this procedure? Is, does this change how uh, lung cancer is treated throughout the state?
6: Certainly. Doing that type of resection it doesn't require any specific technology beyond what we already have. We have thoracoscopic and robotic approaches for removing lung cancers, but it does require kind of specific experience um, on the part of the surgeons to take out just the segment instead of the whole lobe. So yeah, that's something actually we do here all the time. In the past, type of sub-lobar resection or even segmentectomy, as we we call it, it was done in people with really maybe fragile lungs that couldn't tolerate a whole lobe being removed. So it was already a technique that me and my group was, was employing and using. But now we can see that it might be a good option for people even with good lung function and maybe preserve more of that lung tissue for them potentially.
9: And I just kind of wanted to go back a little bit to um, lung cancer in Arkansas. I know it's the number one uh, cause of death among of all cancers Mm -hmm. in the state. I'm kind of wondering, you know, why is it so prevalent here? um, And maybe what this study and this procedure could mean for people here?
5: Well,
6: you know, lung cancer... You're you're, you're exactly right. Um, Lung cancer is the number one cause of cancer death in Arkansas, but it also is the number one cause of cancer death in our country. It outpaces breast cancer, colon cancer, and and prostate cancer combined um, if you look at the deaths. Now, the incidence or how many people get it, there's a lot of people with those other kinds of cancers, but they're often caught early. Lung cancer, we've just been doing lung cancer screening for the last several years, not for the last 30, 40, 50 years. So mammography has been around a very long time, colonoscopy around a long time. But we've been doing lung cancer screening now for many years here, but, but it's still catching up. And, you know, part of it is a high smoking rate. Arkansas has one of the higher smoking rates in our nation. Lung cancer screening is really underutilized. And if you're not screened, your lungs don't have a lot of symptoms when they develop a cancer until it's larger or more advanced. So, so lung cancer screening is the best way to find early stage lung cancer. People might ask, Oh, who's eligible for lung cancer screening in general, when people smoke a pack of cigarettes a day for a year, that's called a pack year and people who smoke a pack of cigarettes every day for 20 years is a 20 pack year history. In general, those with a 20-pack year history or more are eligible for a low-dose CT screening uh, for lung cancer. And, But it's important also to know that lung cancer screening isn't one test. It's not an x-ray. It's a process. The images are obtained, but then they're reviewed by a group of doctors and nurses and other providers with different areas of expertise and focus. And so lung cancer screening is getting all the right people together to look at all the information and make the right decisions about what abnormal X-rays need a biopsy and what ones need follow-up.
9: Nice, yeah, and I think like most of the time when when I think about lung cancer, it automatically goes to uh, smoking. And I'm wondering if there are other risk factors or things that we maybe don't think about that could also contribute to this that maybe get lost.
6: Now, most people with lung cancer, about 80%, have smoked. But more and more people who we find have not smoked. And one risk for any kind of cancer is, is age. Just aging is a risk factor for cancers. And so, you know, an interesting thing that we're doing here um, at UMS is we're looking at better ways to detect lung cancer. And we are currently collecting information and data on this, blood tests to find lung cancer. You know, people get blood draws all the time for surgery and other procedures, and we save a little bit of blood in a tube, and we can find tiny pieces of DNA outside of the cells called extracellular DNA, and those can be markers for cancer, and uh, we're uh, enrolling people and looking at that in trials right here, which is very exciting maybe in the future we could even use that to determine if the cancer is all gone, if it ever comes back and how to best follow people up. Um, and we're a real leader in, uh, in the world in the country as far as circulating tumor DNA research for, for blood test detection of, of lung cancer here. So.
9: And then, so, um, what can people do now, um, to maybe curb the risks of lung cancer or to know when they need to get a screening or or be screened for cancer, for lung cancer specifically.
6: If anyone smokes quit, there's different resources available um, in every state. Every state has a quit line. They can all be accessed either online or 1-800-QUIT-NOW. It is a toll-free number that routes you to your state's quit line. And there's, free of charge services to help anybody quit smoking with experts there through the phone. So it's the first thing you can do to decrease your risk. The next thing is if, if someone has a smoking history long enough and they think they may be, um, 20 pack years or more, talk to a, talk to your physician, talk to your family doctor. And the next thing is if there's something abnormal on x-rays, either through a screening x-ray or, Hey, uh, had a car wreck and they had a couple funny spots on my x-ray or I've, you know, had some x-rays in my shoulder and they saw something weird in my lung. Don't blow it off, get that followed up and get that, get that investigated. We find a lot of cancers through incidental findings on imaging incidental. We're looking for one thing, but we happen to see something else. And so, so yeah, number one, quit smoking. Uh, Number two, screening if you are eligible. Number three, anything incidental or abnormal, get that checked out by some experts. One more thing. A lot of times when we talk about quitting smoking, I get a lot of questions about electronic nicotine delivery systems or e-cigarettes. And A lot of the data that we do find out there unfortunately shows that even though well-intentioned, some people who try to quit with an e-cigarette hop back and forth between an e-cigarette and a combustible traditional cigarette, and, and it's it's harder to regulate and harder to off-ramp that nicotine in your system. And so the best ways to quit really are through uh, patches, gum, prescription medications, and, and if anyone does use an electronic cigarette to quit, make sure that you quit combustibles completely, but also have a plan to off-ramp or get off of the e-cigarette because that can be also a very addictive thing might not have cancer-causing substances in it like a traditional cigarette, but we are seeing lung damage, scarring in the lungs from those e-cigarettes that we don't even know the long, long-term data on that.
9: Right. So, well, thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it.
6: No, I could talk about this stuff for, for hours and hours, but thank you so much for the invitation. Um, yeah, that, that, that randomized trial and surgery was kind of a rare, unique uh, opportunity for us to show that different ways of surgery can still help people. So thank you.
0: That was Dr. Matthew Stelga from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences speaking with Ozarks at Larges' Daniel Carruth.
5: For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A pioneering woman archaeologist led Arkansas's public archaeology programs for more than 30 years. Hester Davis was born in Massachusetts in 1930 in a family of noted scholars and social activists. She was the first woman to work on a Smithsonian Institution archaeological project, and in 1959 came to work at the University of Arkansas Museum while also teaching classes, including one in public archaeology. With Bob McGimsey, she sought to promote more public participation in archaeology, leading to the creations of the Arkansas Archaeological Society for Avocational Archaeologists in 1960 and the Arkansas Archaeological Survey seven years later. She was named Arkansas's first state archaeologist in 1967, a position she held until retiring in 1999. The recipient of many honors, including honorary doctorates, her favorite was best Damn state archaeologist from her peers around the country. She died in 2014 and is buried in the Quaker Meeting House Cemetery in Massachusetts. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net.
0: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, why can't we register to vote online in Arkansas? They can in Missouri.
5: When we first implemented it,
4: We had people that were trying to to sign their signature on uh, their computer with a mouse or with their smartphones or their tablets. And we were ending up with signatures because of the programming and the software that would be uh, maybe half an inch wide in total and less than that in height.
1: Online voter registration, a tale of two states, tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and at 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can always listen using the KUAF app or ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large.
7: KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. DrKathleenWong.com for more information.
1: This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Fort Coffee, Oklahoma. Slightly smaller than a gallon of coffee (laughs) a fort a little bit bigger than a cup of coffee fort coffee oklahoma kuaf is a listener supported service of the school of journalism and strategic media the university of arkansas
0: fun fact or, fact, you can determine whether it's fun or not. The Spyro Mounds are not in Spyro, they're in Fort Coffee. I did not know that. Well, there you go. I think that's fun. Okay. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2.
1: Contributors today included Jacqueline Frolick Daniel Carruth, Gregory Banton, and Mark Christ. The news staff at KUAR contributed today as well. Our theme is written and
0: performed by Daryl Sean. Tomorrow, we have a show at noon and 7. Timothy Dennis will be here to tell us about music for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Patio music season beginning. It's coming. Here we go. All right. Uh, from the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore.